Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. When was the last time you received help from a phoropter? Anyone? Do you know what a phoropter is? Well, actually, you might not know the name, but most of you will instantly know what a phoropter is when I show you a picture of it. You know what a phoropter is, don't you? And most of us have received help from a phoropter. Phoropters are these important tools that optometrists use through a series of different changing lenses to help determine the correct prescription for our eyes. We've all sat down and had that phoropter moved in front of our eyes and we're asked to identify what is clearer, lens two or lens one. And you look through, flip, 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 and you say, lens two. Well, then tell me, what's clearer now, lens two or lens three? Flip, 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 flip. Actually, no two was clearer, right? Well, phoropters, by flipping these lenses back and forth, help an image get clearer and clearer until the point when, voila, you've got the right prescription. The power of the phoropter became really clear to me when I was 14 years old. Up to that point, I thought I was seeing the world exactly as it was meant to be seen. But it turns out when I failed the eye portion of my learner's exam that I found out I was not, in fact, seeing the world clearly at all. I needed corrective lenses. And so off to the optometrist I went, and the phoropter was moved in front of my eyes, and through a series of flipping lenses, the optometrist discovered what I needed in my eyes gained a clarity that I didn't know I didn't have. Well, for the next four weeks, we're going to be attempting to get a clear picture a clearer picture on what comes after. What the Bible says about heaven, hell, and the life that's coming. The truth is these things can be quite fuzzy for us. Maybe in conversation with friends or family, you've discovered that there are questions and answers, discussions that you're fuzzy on, they're fuzzy on. Maybe we're all a bit unclear. Now, of course, That's partly because the things we're discussing this month are about future stuff that none of us have ever experienced. There are things that we can't know and we won't know now. But also, we may find that we've been looking through eyes, cultural eyes, uh, family eyes, religious eyes, that may just need some corrective help. We might think that we've been seeing things quite clearly and then find out that we haven't been seeing things clearly at all. Or we might assume that it's impossible to have any kind of clarity at all, that it's all fuzzy 
and then discover that we can be seen more clearly than we thought. Why is this important? Because what we think and believe about what comes after this life has a profound influence on how we live this life now. Truth really matters. What we think matters. What we hope for matters. The way we understand life in perspective, the way we look at death and judgment, heaven, hell, resurrection, all this stuff really matters, really influences us, really has an effect. And as followers of Jesus, what God has told us about all this after stuff through his written word, well, this is essential knowledge. And knowing these things helps us live more fully and love more faithfully. This really hits home when people die. Just yesterday, we stood at the graveside of our dear friend and sister, Karen. And I know that over the last months, years, many of you have lost people that you love too. In the last couple years, we've often had to mourn their passing at a distance. We weren't able to travel. We weren't able to be with the family and friends, to be even at those gravesides. And many questions rise through those times, don't they? Questions that perhaps you have asked or others have asked. From within ourselves, we begin to raise these questions, and these questions matter. Questions like, where are they now? What about these bodies? What about these so-called souls, our so-called souls? Is this the end? Or is there something more? Are they in heaven? Are they in hell? What is our future or our fate? These are very significant questions. And maybe when you bring it all together, you ask then, and what difference does any of it make? These are questions that maybe you have asked. A lot of us at some point in our journey have had to face those kinds of questions. Now, you might be tuning in today because these are questions that you are asking. And maybe you're not even specifically a follower of Jesus. You're maybe exploring faith or just the topic itself was intriguing to you. And you'd like to know more about, like, what does the Bible say about these things? I hope this series really helps you as we proceed through the month of February. I hope it helps clarify what you think, what you believe, as well as what you don't think, what you don't believe, so that you can live with a greater sense of what is true. You might also be a follower of Jesus, but you've remained fuzzy on what comes next. And I hope this series helps you understand some important things as well. Maybe you've explored these things in great detail yourself, but through this series, you'll be able to receive some important clarifications and even some necessary courage to share the hope more boldly. And then some of you, I think, may even discover that you were not in fact seeing very clear at all, that these corrective lenses will give you a clarity that you didn't know you didn't have. Wherever you're coming from, What comes after is important for all of us.
And I'm glad you've joined us for this series. Well, here's how we're going to proceed over the next four weeks, just to sketch it out. Uh, For this first week of teaching, we're going to flip through four essential truths, four corrective lenses, kind of like the optometrist's ferometer, ferropter, sorry, uh, with the hope that each additional lens will give us an increasing clarity. And these four lenses are then going to influence and inform our discussion as we proceed through the series, first looking at heaven next week, then hell during the third week, and then for our final week at the end of February on the topic of resurrection. Now, I know this teaching series is going to probably raise some questions, and so I just want to give you a heads up that we'll be offering a little later in February an opportunity to connect over Zoom for our question and answer time. We'll be able to pass things back and forth and really have a good discussion over some of the things that may have been raised for you. So look for that um, as it comes. Let me just say a word of prayer as we continue today. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who has gone through death and come back to life. I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would lead us today and in this series to clarify what can be clarified, to see clearly what you want us to see clearly so that we can live in truth and hope. Guide us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, four lenses need to converge on our eyes to correct our poor vision of what comes after. Let's start with lens number one. The first lens is that life is gift. I encourage you to write these four down. So the first one is life is gift. More fully, all life is a gift from God. All life is a gift from God. The Hebrew and Christian origin stories are rooted in this fact. God chose to create the universe, chose to create this world. And he didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it because he was forced to. He didn't do it because it just happened and he didn't know what was going on. God chose to create this world. The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, rivers, trees, birds, animals, and yes, us, human beings. And he did it because he wanted to do it. God desired to make this world, and he gave life as a gift from him. What this means, and it's important for us to always remember, is that life is utterly dependent upon God, 24-7, moment by moment. We do not possess life. We are not able to retain life by ourselves. We are not immortal. Nor is life something that we can make or keep apart from God's sustaining grace. All of life is a gift from God. Uh, Listen to the words of Psalm 104. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. 
when he was witnessing to the philosophers in Athens, the Apostle Paul quoted one of their own poets in saying, in him, that is in God, in him we live and move and have our being. Life is a gift from God. Why is this so important? Well, understanding that life is a gift from God helps us realize that we don't possess some kind of immortality in and of ourselves. We don't possess this apart from God. As human beings, we are finite and we are mortal. There's no life apart from the life that God grants. And we're going to explore this, and this will crop up again through this series, but one of the ideas that we inherited from a variety of sources, the primarily Greek sources, was a belief in the immortality of the soul. It's as though there's some kind of eternal, immortal essence within humans that can't die. No matter what happens, it can't die. And the body might die, but that soul, that immortal thing, it'll go on living in some way. But this isn't true, and it's not supported by Scripture. This will have profound implications for how we consider all of the subjects we'll be looking at, but particularly when we look into what the Scripture says about hell, as well as the hope of resurrection. We confess as Christians, as we'll do later in the communion liturgy, we confess that we believe in the resurrection of the body. We do not confess to believe in the immortality of the soul. So, that'll come up again. But for now, firmly slide this first corrective lens into place. All of life is a gift from God. Life is gift. The second lens builds on the first, and that is this. Our bodies matter. Our bodies matter. The gift of life that God gave to us as human beings in particular was embodied. That is, there's no true experience of the life that God has given us outside of our bodies. Outside of the physical space of God's good creation. Through the beautiful poetry of Genesis 1, we're told again and again and again and again how all that God had made, he saw it and it was good, right? It was good. It was very good. And this tells us something really important about the world that we live in and the bodies that we have, that God created it, God created us, and he made it good. In the second Genesis story of creation, Uh, that's in Genesis chapter 2, we get a kind of an up-close picture of how much these bodies matter. In Genesis 2-7, we read, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being or a living soul. God gives his gift of life by breathing into a human-shaped bunch of dust, and the result is a living being, a living soul. Contrary to popular opinion, and you'll hear this bandied about all over the place, God didn't put an immortal soul into an earthly body. 
as though he, uh, you know, the eternal got moved out of wherever it was, some storehouse somewhere, and then encased temporarily at least in this fleshly shelter. That's not what Genesis teaches. Not what the scripture teaches. Rather, the dirt that's been shaped like a man gets breathed into. The word for breath and the word for spirit are the same. So it's God breathing, inspiring, inspiriting, putting himself through his breath into this bunch of dust. And that becomes a whole being, a living soul. What does this mean? Our bodies are part of God's good creation. And they are not some kind of optional, uh, soon-to-be-dispensed-with extra that we would sort of be better off without. No. Being embodied, being living souls that are whole people, that's how we live this gift of life that God has given to us. In fact, there is no true life as God intended outside of a body that he's given us. Not now, and not in the future either. Whereas Greek thinking seeped into Christian theology along the way and began to suggest that the body and the flesh and even creation was somehow beyond help, somehow even evil, the teaching of Scripture tells us a very different story, that we were created by God as embodied, living souls, and that because of this, our bodies matter. Slide that second lens into place, and the image of what comes after will be clearer. But what about the fact that our bodies seem so messed up? I mean, we all struggle, right? Our bodies don't work the way they were supposed to. What about the fact that creation, yeah, beautiful, but cruel, broken? Or the scripture at times talks about our bodies as earthly tents that are passing away and how we all die. Doesn't that suggest that bodies aren't really that great after all? Well, there's a third lens that must slide into place if we're to understand anything of what's going on. And that is this. Death stings. The third lens is that death stings. The story of God's good creation and our good bodies have been frustrated by sin. Remember what God told the first living soul that he breathed into and came to life. He said, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Not only does this underscore the first lens that all life is a gift from God, but what did the human pair promptly do? Mistrusting God and his goodness. They acted as their own judges of what was right and wrong, and they ate. And through their act of rebellion, death entered into the world, and God's gift of life was now tainted by sin and death. And the ripple effects of that rebellion and that mistrust, the ripple effects of that sin are unspeakable. All of creation was affected, infected by human sin. Our relationship with God, we were estranged and alienated. Our relationships with each other, 
now characterized by violence and dominance and anger and rage, violence. The rest of creation, we were estranged from it too, and even our own selves, not the least of which we find ourselves estranged from our own bodies. Yes, our bodies matter, and yet our bodies die. Now this lens is essential for us to grasp. It's got to be there in place because as much as we must remember that our lives are a gift from God and that our bodies are good, we have to account somehow for the mess that we're in, for the way our bodies don't work, for the fact that we experience suffering and illness and death, all of us. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. Death stings and continues to sting. In fact, without God's intervention, death would have had the final word. God said that death would result in human sin, and that's exactly what happened. But would death have the final word? No. That's the good news story, right? That's the surprising twist. That's the thing we all know and hold on to and celebrate. Yes, the wages of sin is death. Yes, death stings. Slide that third lens into place because it's essential, but we keep going to the fourth lens. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Our fourth corrective lens is that resurrection renews. Resurrection renews. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God himself became one of us. That Jesus Christ, who unlike us, actually did pre-exist for all eternity as the Son of God, that he took on human flesh, that he became a full-fledged human being. Christians have confessed this for 2,000 years. He's not a mirage. He's not an avatar. He's not sort of looks like a human, but not quite a human. He's not a soul that possessed a body for a while. No. Jesus is as flesh and blood, as 100% human as you and I. And right there, we're reminded of God's commitment to his creation. Uh, We're we're, we're shown uh, he's fully willing to associate with his creation, to become one of it. I mean, that's got to tell us something about the goodness, the goodness of the human body even, that he would become one of us. There's lots to unpack there, but we'll go on. You see, the incarnation of Jesus Christ was so that the curse upon creation that was a result of sin, that that would be reversed, that sin and death would be overcome. Jesus comes to reverse the curse, and he does that by announcing that the kingdom of heaven has come, that the reign of God is now present through him, and he demonstrates his power over creation, stilling the storm, over illness, making people well, his power over death, his power over sin, and ultimately his power over life itself when he laid down his life for us, dying on the cross at the hands of sinful, evil powers, and then rising again from the dead to declare victory over the grave. I mean, this is the main event. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the essence of what it means to believe in Jesus, that Jesus reverses the curse through his death and through his resurrection. And as we explore in further detail throughout this series, Jesus rises again in a full human body. 
fully flesh and blood, vibrant, breathing, pulsing, moving, strong. A body that is very much like the body that we would expect a good God to make, and yet now a body that's no longer subject to death, no longer subject to illness. Now a body that is a living soul as God intended. Talk about a body that's good. The resurrection of Jesus is the definitive sign that new creation has come. And though death still stings, that's true, look around, we know this. It's had its teeth ripped out by Jesus himself, by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When he rose, death was destroyed By the Holy Spirit, Jesus has restored God's gift of life to us, to anyone who will trust in him, anyone who comes to him. We get that gift of life now, given to us by the Holy Spirit. We are breathed into again and made alive again. And Jesus is in the process now of restoring all of creation fully as God intended. Jesus and his resurrection is our prototype because Just as he rose, we will too. More on that to come, but slide that fourth lens into place and all of a sudden, things will begin to be clear or clearer. Clearer of what's coming as we explore things like heaven, hell, and resurrection. You got those four lenses in place? Imagine the big ferropter coming in front of you and flipping back and forth. The four lenses, life is a gift from God. Got that in place. Our bodies matter. Death stings, but resurrection renews. Those are the four lenses that we're going to keep in place. We're going to keep coming back to them as we go through this series. We need them firmly perched on our noses so that we won't just have blurry images or confused ideas. But with these lenses in place, we'll begin to catch a glimpse of what's coming, which will give us so much hope so much courage for the days ahead. But I think it is important to note that even seeing with greater clarity doesn't mean it's going to remove all mystery, right? I mean, I'm going to do my best over the next few weeks to provide some biblical clarity on these things, and I think it'll really help. But there's still going to be lots of unanswered questions. There's a lot of unanswerable questions. There's so much that we can't know. So I just want to note that. But God has revealed essential truth to us. And as we focus on that truth, we're going to be able to live with more faith and more trust in the good future that God has given us. And it's going to affect how we live life now. Even as we acknowledge with humility that there's some stuff we won't won't know. But I also think at this moment, it's important to say something else. Seeing more clearly is good. It's helpful. It's important. I wouldn't be teaching on this. But it doesn't actually change the nature of reality. It doesn't change what is true. Resurrection renews whether we understand it fully or not. Whether we see clearly or whether we're kind of blinking through the blur, Jesus' love for us doesn't change. His love for you doesn't change. God's plan for us are not frustrated. And so even as we approach these things, there may be questions that, ah, you keep wrestling with and things you're continuing to struggle with. Just know this, through it all, I'm hoping we gain greater clarity, but God's love for you is the same 
regardless. And thank you, Jesus, for your love that doesn't change. Today, we're going to move to communion together, to share at the table. And of course, these four lenses that we've discussed, they actually bring incredible clarity to communion as well. What do we remember when we gather around the table of Jesus, when we break the bread and drink the juice? Well, think of it. Lens number one. We remember that all of life is a gift of God to us through Jesus Christ. And we celebrate his gift of life. Lens number two. We remember that his body mattered. His incarnate body mattered. His body broken for us, given for us, hung on a cross for us. It matters. But also his corporate body now, his church, his followers, that's you and I, and our bodies too. As we come to the table of communion, we're reminded that our bodies matter. And and interestingly enough, that we are even always taking physically. We're eating with our mouths and drinking. Isn't it interesting that even in this greatest moment of, of worship and sacrament, that we're doing something very physically with our bodies, eating and drinking together to celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Lens number three, when we come to the table, we remember that death still stings, doesn't it? Death still stings. Uh, Sin still ravages. And that's why we take time to confess when we come to the table. The ways that we have even perpetuated that death. We've continued to sin. we've, We've hurt others. We've failed to love. We confess those things knowing that we stand forgiven in Jesus Christ. And then lens number four, we come to the table remembering that resurrection renews, that Jesus rose victorious over the grave, and we proclaim this truth until he comes again. Because when he comes again, all of creation will be renewed, and we ourselves will be resurrected. These four lenses bring clarity to us, even now as we move to the table. There's so much to celebrate.